All right, we're back. Del further episode. Uh, you tell me. You're the YouTube viewer. You'll. I'm sure you'll remind me that I've skipped an episode, or I can't count. So, you know, help me out. I'm here with somebody who's been in the Overwatch scene for a very long time. You know, you've probably know him from his time in the Overwatch League with Dallas Fuel. Um, you know, Coach Peak. How are you doing, Peak? I'm good. I'm good. Um, just been uh, grinding out content. Yeah, you've been Doing you've really thing. been hitting the hitting the pavement hard with a lot of you know very informative videos. So I suggest all the viewers out there, you know, all two of you, uh, to go check out you know his videos. Two is better than one. You know, we can we can you know combine forces and really try to, you know, help people. I guess I don't know. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's not only helping my me directly for YouTube either. It it's really it's teaching me you know while I make it mm. um, new things. Yeah, I mean, you know, first kind of philosophy of coaching is, you know, everything's kind of a learning process. You know, you don't, there's nothing empty in the world. It's not nihilistic yeah. in a sense, but uh, one of the, one of the kind of first things I wanted to talk about that kind of popped up very recently is um, there was this, this thread on Twitter that was kind of talking about uh, one of the contenders teams, uh, Sky Foxes, for instance. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's other examples of this, but we'll, we'll get into them. Mm -hmm. um and and how their coaching staff is, is a little bit large uh they have multiple mm -hmm. you know assistant coaches and, and head coaches and analysts and this that the other thing i think they have uh around six staff members in total uh, just mm -hmm. for that you know kind of uh, team in a sense and we've seen this become an issue or at least that was the narrative that was drawn up um as the issue for the soul dynasty as well you know there's too many cooks in the kitchen you know they're muddling up the the message to the players or at least that's what kind of was was given to us from you know people closer to the teams um mm -hmm. is that something that kind of worries you going into you know as a as a you know former coach and as a consistent you know you, this is something that you're super interested in doing is that something that kind of uh, worries you about some teams is that yeah there there can be too many you know uh people leading them in a sense um, it doesn't worry me, um, mm -hmm. but for example, it depends entirely on who is leading these people because um, I don't think having many coaches is a bad thing. It's definitely better than having few coaches. And for example, looking at Skyfoxes who have six coaches, um, if you have a system where not only system but also a hierarchy and, and structure within within the coaching staff and also a coaching culture mm. that is uh, benefiting everyone and also splitting tasks uh, efficiently not it shouldn't be equally uh, because uh, it's not about who is happy you know uh, with the workload is split among everyone equally it should be efficiently and if you can't, for example, uh, if you if you are a coach and you're trying to build a coaching staff mm -hmm. and you have no idea what you're doing, just gathering people in the same way um, old school teams were, were built by players, for example, players just grabbing players and um, going with trial and error. Mm -hmm. It's not going to solve any problems if you have more people working because just quantity doesn't mean you raise quality and and you want the coaches to be effective and in contenders for example if they have six coaches and they are used to their full potential not maybe not full potential but let's say more than the average coach in other contenders teams mm -hmm. then they should definitely be able to produce much more results than any other team that has less coaches than them and for example, I don't think Skyfoxes are getting paid for for you know for coaching mm -hmm. or the coaches in Skyfoxes. So right. maybe maybe they have a ton of coaches, but also split um, have different shifts for them. If that makes mm -hmm. sense, um, mm -hmm. and maybe they have some core core staff that works directly with the players, and then have some background staff that gives uh, resources for the. Um, staff in the front maybe gotcha. who knows it's um i have no idea how they operate <laughs> sure so, yeah it's it's, it's definitely uh difficult to say when you have you know such a massive staff you know you've they've got like mm. a korean contact they've got multiple analysts like we can't mm. know exactly how they work 
Um, but it was interesting. Go ahead. Yeah. Also, just because it's coaches, it doesn't mean it, it has to be treated any special compared to uh, if you're a software developer, if you are mm-hmm. work, working in a kitchen, if you're a car mechanic or whatever, you know, more people is usually better than fewer people. And it all depends on who is the head at the top and mm-hmm. also what the culture is like. For example, if you have a kitchen where everyone is stressed out, it's very hard to resolve problems on the fly. You're not gonna get dishes out in time. Yeah. If you have a, if you're a car mechanic and you have several uh, workers that only are specified on different brands, on one brand or maybe two, if you then end up with too many unique brands that only you can solve or someone else, it's on you to teach them, you know, how to work with other brands, all that stuff. Maybe it's a bad example, but no, it makes sense. Same with software developments, you know, companies. Mm-hmm. You wanna have more staff to split up work efficiently, and within coaching up, uh, coaching here in Overwatch, I felt that sometimes it's hard in the beginning beginning of the coaching career mm-hmm. to delegate work, and it can feel like it's um, it's like you're you're having this. Um, thing that you don't want to let go of but you know that you should you know delegate and so on it's it can be uh, um, hard to let go of um, work if that makes sense because Mm. of either being burned out or because you don't trust the other coaches and that's for example why many coaching you know having many coaches in coaching staff might not um, produce a lot because the environment and the team culture, etc., or the staff culture mm-hmm. isn't um, promoting, you know, that trust or that bond and that efficiency. No, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, we've we've spoken about this before when it comes to like twelve man rosters, and you've brought up the same example. So no, I think it definitely uh, is substantiated and it makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of going back to that same conversation we had previously. Um, do you think this is more of an issue for the individual coaches where it's difficult for them to kind of make a brand for themselves and really kind of use this as an example of their validation to the community or to, you know, you know, uh, players in the future saying like, I was working with this team. I was the, you know, blank role. Does that kind of muddy, you know, muddy the water a little bit when you have so many coaches? Um, I'm not sure because, mm. You're not supposed to to take credit for you know for for something. You're not supposed to focus on the credit part when you coach sure. because essentially, in in order to be be the best coach you can be, you have to be selfless and make the player successful. And you can't be selfless while you're being selfish, if that makes sense. No, that makes sense. And yeah. it's on the coaches themselves to build up the brand and. For example, prove themselves out, you know, by by interviews or mm-hmm. producing content or making an impact on the team from within, so that you know, players speak about the about the coaches, and if they inspire players, it will come out automatically. Um, you will have players giving credit if it's uh, you know where, where where it's due, mm-hmm. and also. It's hard to say. It's like uh, it's like respect, for example, earning respect. You sure. can't force it. Yeah. And uh, same goes with you know when players talk about coaches. But I can see how it makes it a hinder for some mm-hmm. coaches. Mm-hmm. But in the long term, that won't really matter because right. um, they will have enough uh, you know sample pools. So something that's the, it, I guess what I'm taking away from that is that something that you should think about but it's not necessarily applicable too much in this case where it, it can be a hindrance but in the long run like you said it shouldn't yes. really matter yeah it's not your problem okay. it's not a, gonna be a big problem for you in the long run because there's a ton of ways you can get by it hmm. okay yeah that makes that that makes sense you know um like you said getting 
<laughs> not not asking your players, hey, could you you know say something nice about me on Twitter today? Like I'm trying yeah. to build that brand, you know, you know, but but actively going out there and pursuing you know interview opportunities, creating your own content, you know, whether it's mm-hmm. written video, vines, who knows, you know, just being active on mm-hmm. social media, engaging with the community, stuff like that. No, that 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 definitely is uh, a big part in brand building. So yeah, I get, mm-hmm. I, I guess I I agree with you there. I just worry that when it comes to that community sentiment, right? Um, Mm. A lot of people, even in very, even in traditional sports, even in other, you know, more uh, long, long-term esports, like something like Starcraft or something like League of Legends or Dota or or Counter-Strike, I think the community latches on to results and they're very kind of results oriented and that can kind of uh, persuade people. So I, while I agree that you do need to be very selfless as a coach, um, does it, does it worry you that the, hmm, how do I frame this? Is it, is it more of a worry that the community can tend to overvalue things or undervalue things? Like, does that play into this brand building at all? I guess it does, but again, like it's not nothing I worry about because okay. it's, it's always going to be like that. Like, sure. um, uh, we can, for example, if I'm if I'm a viewer or a spectator, how, mm-hmm. how can I know that if someone who's um, not getting credit, going out and claiming credit, is actually deserving it? Mm-hmm. And the same with whoever gets the credit. It's and and you know if if there's a majority, you know, giving the credit to one person mm-hmm. for a reason. Um, for example, if a head coach gets the credit, that's something that's normal. You know, it's right. it's like in a it's like Tesla, for example. Elon gets the credit, sure. but it's his workers that also do a lot of work. But it's something that always will happen, and mm-hmm. and it's something that you have to live with and have to accept as an assistant coach or analyst, etc. And you will, if you, for example, stay with a team that's successful for a long time. Mm-hmm it's going to be easy to relate to you, you know, as a, as a factor for that success. Yeah. Especially, you know, if you're staying with them for a long time. For sure. You kind of see that with um, traditional sports, a lot of the times where you, you Mm -hmm. have these tenured coaches and you kind of look at the team and that coach is part of that, that team's brand in a sense where it's like, okay, I'm going Mm -hmm. to this team to play under this coach. And, you know, they're, they're kind of married in a sense. And, that uh i i think that's bound to happen at some point in esports um we we've started i think we started to see it in in games like and games a little bit more closely related to like csgo and, and, and league of legends where you you know it's it's sad to see when like a tenured coach leaves you know an org that he's always worked with or um you know you see a coach come in and start to kind of build that that uh, development cycle with that team and it's kind of this family almost where you kind of are attached mm. to them and you know the, the the organization can build off of that but when it comes to the players itself um one thing and we've talked about this uh, previously is you know how how to be accepted by players mm. um and and i still think and and maybe you, you'll disagree with me so uh you know kind of hear me out um I still think in, in Overwatch uh, specifically uh, and the competitive side of things, we start, we still are in this very kind of young state where we still have a lot of players that are, I wouldn't say resistant to coaching, but are very on guard when it comes to new people coming in and telling them, hey, you know, what you've been doing for the last two years is either not good enough or incorrect completely, right? And that's something that I can I can completely understand and, and you know, really relate to if somebody came up to me and, um, and you know, I was a professional guitarist and said, hey, you're doing this all wrong. Like, whoa, 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 what, what do you mean I've been doing this all wrong? I'm selling all these records. Look at all this success I'd have been having. How, who are you to tell me that I'm doing something wrong? Is that... Mm-hmm. Is that um, is that worrisome as as a coach? You've I'm not, now to be fair, you've been doing this for you know quite a while, so I think you've probably have a, a good take on this. Um, but how how do you how would you suggest somebody kind of approach a player if he is this this kind of on guard and you know kind of not 
combative because I don't think players generally are too combative. They're just very standoffish when it comes to new opinions being approached them. So how would you kind mm. of um, suggest that a coach or a new coach kind of break the ice with these players and, and kind of really win them over? Yeah, so the first thing is you have to um, you have to learn how to adapt to to others instead of others adapting to you. Right. And that will automatically not automatically, but it will make it easier for you to enter without breaking down their world. Mm. But um, there's something there's something called uh, I'm not sure if this is an actual term, but something called the the development the developmental edge, if that makes okay. sense. Yeah. Where you it's for example, kids when they learn how to ride a bike or something else, mm-hmm. they fail and then they try again and then they fail less but they try again and then they fail even less and maybe get better at something and you you basically break down build up break down build up break down and build up okay and you have to learn how to sense that with with your intuition basically because you can't measure um how much have broken down someone's uh, ability to play the game and then rebuild it basically you know the theory or or whatever right. you're, you're trying to improve and you wanna it's like um it's like if you have if every player has like um if every player has some form of uh, space within them that mm-hmm. you can shine a light into you you as the coach are you're the flashlight basically and then every player is unique and by being unique they have for example maybe there's uh, drilled holes in that you know in the shell to that space sure but in different locations and what you have to do then as a coach is basically find these holes and you know light inside and that means you can't really approach everyone in the same tone Mm. you can't use the same word words and you can't use the same tempo pitch whatever you basically have to translate learn how to translate two different uh, players uh, way of talking uh, and inter- interpreting the game and so on so for example if you have players that are old school players mm-hmm. they like concrete examples but if you have newer players you can go kind of theoretical on them mm-hmm. if you know how i mean for example yeah yeah something um, you can you can approach new players with uh concepts concepts that you know either haven't been uh tested in the game or you know again this applies oh, to a lot of different things you know you can are you saying they can be a little bit more uh open to concepts new concepts uh, whereas like a traditional you know expert player expert um yeah they're a bit more open open okay. to to new new things because they haven't locked in you know their way right. of uh, looking at the game and even if a player has a locked-in way, mm. you can mold it. But you have to do it in steps and make small changes. That makes sense. And I really liked that analogy with the you know the box, and you know you have to you as a coach are the spotlight to kind of uh, mm. shine uh, on the bright areas. And I think that transitions very nicely into something that you've been very uh, vocal about, or at least I've thought you've been very vocal about in some of your content. And your interviews and and the such mm. um, is that um, it, it seems to me, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, uh, that you're maybe under the assumption or the opinion that um, coaching is a little bit stagnated in the way that it gives its resources to its players. And uh, okay, what do I mean by that? Um, from the content in the interviews that you've produced, it seems like you're a lot more open to the idea of positive reinforcement versus always the negative. You should be doing this, this, this better rather than, Hey, we did this really well. What if we could, you know, what if we tweak it? You know, is that something that, you know, am I, let's, let's first say, you know, is that, uh, accurate to your opinion? Yeah, it is. It's accurate. And, um, do you want me to continue? No, yeah, go. Keep going. So I think it's accurate because, um, so when I started coaching, hmm. uh, if you wanted to have impact on players, they would react m- better or they would respond better 
to mm. negative reinforcement because that what that is more impactful short-term uh, improvement for example mm. someone that doesn't know how to use a diva bomb sure. but always sends it straight up and does nothing else mm -hmm. if you say don't do that uh, mix it up a bit that's gonna be quick quick help that they can uh, use immediately and much a lot of teams and players wanted quick results you know quick fixes etc and not as much of the um, snowball uh, mm. effects from from positive reinforcement for example if you want to promote a healthy environment um, having everyone you know deal with tilt not not you you don't want to let's use tilt as an example sure uh, it would be common, maybe still is common, to say don't tilt. But a better way to deal with it mm -hmm. that will solve tilt long term as well is instead of making tilting taboo or forbidden, you can say you can deal with tilt if you take you know say you need five minutes, mm -hmm. pause five minutes in scrims, and then you know come back later, take some air, water, whatever right um maybe you have some different techniques you can you can say and you allow tilt you trust the players with it mm -hmm. but if if they can't solve it instead you teach them the skill to do it and and you try to make them stronger instead of making them dependent on you if if you, you want to make them stronger individuals as well and not only players mm -hmm. and the same goes for abilities uh, strats etc in game you want to make them able to think on their own and you will not be able to make them think on you on their own if you only use negative reinforcement because you're then you're the one always uh, you know giving how do you say it? you give everything on a, on a silver plate mm -hmm. for example you're you know, not giving the players the yeah. tools to be able to kind of um, fish for themselves, you know, kind of going mm. back to the old saying, you know, if you if you, mm. you know, give a man a fish, he'll eat for a day. But if you teach him how to fish, you know, he'll be set for life. And I guess, yeah. and is that what you're kind of saying? Is you're kind of trying to teach the players how to fish in that sense? Yeah, but um, negative reinforcement has its place. But what sure. I'm I'm trying to say that um, negative reinforcement is, is not going to solve problem if you mm. always, problems if you always use it as... Uh, as the way of giving feedback because mm -hmm. soon enough the players will find that they are they either don't understand why they shouldn't do something or maybe they can't deal with all the negativity or it spirals into negative feedback loops that make it acceptable to tilt make it frustrating you know to to hear the feedback maybe mm -hmm. it's hard to deal with the frequent um nagging you know it ends yeah. up being like nagging and, and that's something that i think tends to be assigned to coaches in, in a very kind of um well maybe maybe we can agree to or, or maybe disagree here because i think this is a very cultural thing mm -hmm. where you look at you know traditional sports and you look at a coach and you're like oh you know don't want to make coach mad you know he's going to make me run laps around the track on you know if i if i'm playing football if i'm playing you know, baseball or whatever, it's it's this very authoritarian style of mindset when you either mm. approach coaching as a, a career or if you're a player, you know, under a coach, there is that baseline respect level that's given to them. And I think it is a little bit intimidating when you have to go to, you know, the coach and ask for help. Or if the coach comes to you and says, you know what, you know, we're going to have to sit you, yeah, you know, this, that, the other thing. Um, is that kind of uh, similar in 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 Europe? Is that is that um, the same? Is that um, is it different? I, I think it's a little bit more um, prevalent here in the states, where it's it's kind of a, a very authoritarian. Like you do what the coach says, you don't really you know bicker with them. You know, there's really not a line of communication so much. I obviously it's on a coach by coach basis, um, and it seems like that's very mm -hmm. much the case in, mm -hmm. in Korea. Is that similar in in Europe when it comes to sports? If you have any examples, um, from my experience in sports, it's it's similar, but it's mm. not only that. Okay. Um, for an example, 
I think it's needed to have that kind of, um, of not authority, but you you need sometimes to have that role in a team, sure. even in Overwatch or in sports, because there are going to be times where you have players stepping out of line. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's the same as if you're in a classroom and you have a, every classroom has a class clown. Mm-hmm. And the class clown starts putting uh, tables on fire, like, sure. You you gotta you gotta be more frank mm-hmm. with them. Um, if a player in Overwatch st- starts uh, to skip out on practice, not showing up or sleeping, in, you know, in scrims or whatever, mm-hmm. you gotta make some hard decisions and maybe throw them out, you know, out of the team. Right. Um, but before that, of of course, you're gonna have to warn them and so on and. You can't warn a player, whether it's in sports or or in Overwatch or any other game, if you don't have not traits, not qualities, but if you can't enter a role of your person persona mm-hmm. that that is intimidating to them. Um, I I view it as family roles. Um, that sure. I learned it from a coach in Korea where. Sometimes you have to be as uh, the scary dad mm-hmm. that comments something, and sometimes you have to be a caring mother. And you're never in a permanent role; you always shift between different roles. And if you, you know, keep that um, that type of coaching that you mentioned all mm-hmm. the time, it's going to be rough on players that haven't developed the personal skills to to deal with feedback that comes in such a way mm-hmm. for example young players in overwatch um, n- not all of them have had the same life experiences as right. someone playing in an nfl mm-hmm. no it makes you know that mm. you know if you think about who's playing esports or who's you know pursuing esports mm. uh as a career as a player whether it's as a coach this that the other thing you know we're still kind of in this pocket of of a generation that are kind of you know let's face it we're kind of you know nerds geeks compared to a lot of our other you know uh the general public let's say so we're a little bit more interested in you know computers tech gaming that kind of stuff so we're you're not we're not predisposed to these you know whether it be you know traditional sports or any kind of like um very structured team oriented environment so you are going to get those people coming in that you know like you said they, mm-hmm. i've never worked under a system with a coach and an analyst and having to to really listen to people i've always done it by myself and mm-hmm. that kind of goes yeah, back to those first generation of players mm-hmm. where it's just like i understand where they're coming from and it's like you know i have to do this it's all on me and if i fail it's it's my own fault and now mm-hmm. something somebody else is coming in that's supposed to help me that's telling me oh well you're doing it all wrong it's like well there's there's already a conflict there Mm. So yeah, I, it's like you. Yeah, go, it's go like go. you said with uh, cultures, mm-hmm. and right now we have um, the start of, um, for example, American esports has one type of uh, way to operate in teams, players how they you know see each other and so on, and same mm-hmm. with Europe and Korea, and uh, it's gonna develop over time, of course, but uh, right now it's like you say, yeah. But the one thing that I, I really appreciate about that, you know, acknowledgement of positive reinforcement is that there needs to be that balance. I love that analogy mm. of the kind of caring mother and the, um, you know, the, the angry or disciplinary mm. father um, and, mm. and how you do need to kind of, uh, you know, uh, apply them when necessary. You don't mm. have to be balanced all the time because there are times where you're going to need, you know, be more aggressive and there's going to be times where you need to be a little bit more doting, you know, build them up a little bit. And I think that applies mm-hmm. to so many different aspects of life, so many different aspects of how to teach, so many different aspects of how to to kind of manage teams and manage, you know, player um, excitement. And that was another topic that I wanted to get into was the, I think there is a, a not a stigma, I wouldn't say. But this notion that you need to kind of keep your players at this this kind of zen level at all times. So if they're too excited, you as a coach or you as, you know, a staff member need to kind of calm them down because they could 
be, you know, they could go out there and make plays that are a little bit too aggressive. So, you know, there's, there's this, this argument of perfection almost, um, you know, if they're not too, mm-hmm. you know, um, they're not too big on their own play today. You know, they're, they're having a rough day. Something happened in practice. They're, you know, this matchup's got in their head. We need to build them up a little bit more. We need to make them a little bit more excited, give them a little, you know, try to get them to be a little bit more energetic so that they can kind of erase that from their memory or just, mm-hmm. you know, change their mindset in a sense. Is that something that you'd agree with where you kind of have to try to keep everybody at an even keel? Or is it, again, that balancing act where sometimes you do need to kind of let them, okay, guys, you guys are just feeling yourselves. Go out there, play. Everything's working so far. Or do we keep them, try to try to zen them out and keep them at like a very neutral level at all times? Mm. Um, you don't have to uh, always uh, balance them. Mm-hmm. It's like... It's like trying to be a, the overprotective parent to a child. Mm, okay. uh, the, the child will never learn how to how to deal with the world themselves if you don't let them fail, you know, or if you don't let them, if you don't expose them sure. to to whatever the world has to offer. And same goes with um, the negative, you know, that might come from playing in a team, mm-hmm. uh, as well as positive. Um, you don't always have to make and have this neutral state or uh, equilibrium instead you you want to be there for them for example as you mentioned if they have a rough day mm-hmm. if they have no energy and it's a match day you should be there as a pool of energy that they can tap into and basically borrow energy from you mm-hmm. and some days they will have and their own energy you know on on their own and you're not supposed to drain energy from them, but you don't have to give energy sure. uh, yourself, you know, by forcing it. Um, they will, for example, if, if they have rough days several times on match days, mm-hmm. they will get used to it. They will learn how to prepare better. They will learn how to adapt their life to, you know, around matches and such to maybe change diet, sleep more, sleep mm-hmm. less, whatever it is, uh, work out, taking, you know, taking it down a notch and working out so they can recover, whatever it is. And they will, you can teach them as much as you want about it in theory. It's like being a doctor that has never done a surgery before. And you've read all about it in a book, mm-hmm. but the first time you do it, it's going to be a unique experience. And the same with players. If you always give it on a silver plate to them, you know, by being the opposite force all the time, you, they will forget how to how to be their own person. If that makes sense. Mm. No, that that definitely. I've always thought that keeping everybody at a very neutral level was again kind of that that argument of of chasing perfection or trying to perfect what's kind of reasonable and it's it's scary because you're trying to eliminate um no i mean it's a very hyperbolic statement i would say but you're kind Mm -hmm. of trying to eliminate any kind of personality there Mm. Whereas if, you know, there's somebody who that's a natural leader that kind of provides the energy to the team, um, you know, somebody who jumps out at me is reinforced, you know, being the, the kind of not cheerleader, but being very, very vocal when the team does really well for Team Sweden or, or Misfits mm. or whatever it was. He was always there kind of amping everybody up being like, yeah, you know, this was really good. Mm. And I, I I've always kind of. I've never had a strong enough opinion on it, and that's why I wanted to ask you about it because it, it felt like you're trying to eliminate that or, or there is this 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 idea prevalent in coaching that we we try to eliminate that or you guys try to eliminate the 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 kind of sub roles within a team and it's just like oh. okay, this is this is the staff and then you're the players. And you no, can't no, no. you can't necessarily within that kind of neutral mindset with, with this, you know, it's I can't draw any examples immediately because it's more of like a, a feeling that I get from how coaches speak. Mm-hmm. But I I have gotten this this notion or this kind of idea that um, that's how you know 
optimal traditional sports has been structured or you know this is the ideal way to do things where it's just like you guys don't have to worry about anything we're going to take care of cooking mm-hmm. cleaning this at the other thing and what you're saying is not necessarily the complete opposite but you're, what you're saying is that you need to expose them to to failure in a sense so that they can learn yeah maybe not exposed to failure. you, you don't want to set them up for failure but sure of course of course you want to teach them the you want to give them tools that mm. they can learn how to use on their own. Mm. Uh, so for example, you mentioned reinforce. He has a tool to deal with uh, uh, when the team is feeling down or can't snowball themselves, you know, with um, energy, you know, mm-hmm. emotional energy and so on. Sure. And you don't want to shut him down. Instead, you want to you wanna empower him and make it easier for him to do something that he's good at, for example keeping the morale up mm-hmm. and you you build a bond for an example where he trusts you that you have his back you know if he tries to step out of out not not using him as an example right know, yeah. to, this is just um an arbitrary example sure so if you take a player that steps outside of their comfort zone um and maybe they try to crack a joke you know when it's the worst timing ever mm-hmm. you can you can be the you know a person that that reacts you know in a good way to to them and instead of saying yeah don't do that right now because then it shuts them down and maybe you'll never see that person trying trying to crack a joke again mm-hmm. um for an example i mentioned before young players and such sure um maybe you haven't had the interactions in life experiences uh university experiences for example college football etc mm-hmm. where you fail in in school maybe you fail in tests or anything else you know you you get rejected from job interviews when you're older uh, these things aren't as common in esports because mm-hmm. of the how of how because of how young players are and when they then they have to deal with uh, if if you are OWL player and you have to deal with the first big loss on stage mm-hmm. it's going to feel like the whole world is breaking apart sure and if you're playing in NFL and you lose a big game you're going to be able to to uh, recover yourself mm-hmm. without having to rely on someone else fixing you if that if you understand how I mean no 100% yeah, you're not supposed to be the the fixer when you coach. You instead try to improve uh, the players um, in every every aspect of uh, their play, mm-hmm. and some of that play is included in in life as well. No, that makes sense. It, it's it's that's another thing that's kind of echoed, and I think is I think it's used a lot, and I I think the the communities and where it is used can be a little bit um, snappy when people say, oh, we want to try and build better people. It's like, well, are, are we here to build better people? Or are we here to build better players? And I think in, in a sense, it is kind of conjoined where it's like, we need to give these players tools to kind of problem solve on their own. And when they can't, we have to be, or, or the coaches or the support staff analysts, whatever they, that's when, you know, you guys come in and again, not fix, but help them think through those problems and, mm. and set them up for success with game plans, mm. you know, uh, schedules. That's the other thing, you know, to kind yeah. of help them in that sense. Mm. Yeah. Game plans, for example, mm. um, back when I uh, started coaching, many players wanted game plans, um, fully prepared, everything set. Sure. But that's also because of uh, the schedule with with matches and so on. Sure. And a lot of players forgot how to think on their own, mm. on the fly, for example, and making up plays, you know, that Reddit otherwise would call 900 IQ plays, <laughs> which is anyone that's a pro player can do these plays. And sure. um, it's that's, for example, a tool I'm, you know, a tool as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure how to phrase this, but um, 
you wanna if you you don't uh, give up you know on on pr providing game plans and such for players of course but um you maybe don't give them all the details you leave some space mm. for them to work with themselves and that, i think that's, that's super important um mm. because i think that specifically in the case of Overwatch, i've tried to keep many of these questions very broad because i think coaching and teaching are again no. two two peas in the same pod and they can mm. be applied to many many different things but mm. specifically in overwatch i agree with you that i think you shouldn't just give up on game plans but as, as a coach and as someone who has drafted game plans and strategy before um and you've worked directly with some of the best players to you know uh, assess what their their kind of skill set is and then apply that to a game plan um, but you also have this very strange case in Overwatch where you have, you know, this this increasingly expanding problem that is, I, I, I don't know how you guys solve this problem, right? If you look at a game like a system and you try to approach it the best way you can, and in the system has so many different variables. So you've got four different game modes. Who knows if they're going to add capture the flag or elimination in the future. God, I don't know why, but you know, who knows? They might. Could be interesting. And mm -hmm. in each of those game modes, you have attack and defense. You have where the payload is positioned. You have different points on those maps. You have, you know, 29 different characters that you can switch between at all times. I feel like this game has so many different variables that in a sense it's it's nearly impossible to pre be to be able to prepare for every outcome you know mm. where the card is positioned versus what composition on attacker defense like that's already you know 45 different you know outcomes that you could come up with you know versus how many how many different meta compositions there are like i i can't I can't agree with you more that it's it's really down to the players to be able to identify what the issue is and then kind of come up with a solution on the fly because you couldn't have uh I don't think anybody has enough money in the world to come up with, you know, coaches. This is, you know, uh, an AI solution maybe where you can have this this problem try to be solved and and addressed in multiple different ways. So I guess maybe the question is, you know, What's your take on that, on this game with, you know, infinite variables? Not infinite, but you, you get the idea. Um, mm. And and how do you really approach it? Is it really just trying to give the players the best tools that you, you have to offer? Or do mm. you still kind of have to draft game plans? Is it, you know, is it, again, is it a balancing act? What do you, what do you kind of think about that? Um, so I still, I still draft game plans and such, but okay. it, uh, so it, first thing it depends on uh, the deadline so mm. if i have um, season one owl schedule mm. where i have matches every week i'm not going to be able to go super in depth and the players won't be able to practice uh, whatever i go in depth with if i go too far because there's simply not enough times in in a day and right. um, how muscle uh, you know memory and so on works sure um so Let's start with the interactions between heroes and such. You mentioned that there's like, did you say 45? Uh, there's 29 heroes. You know, there's four different game modes. Like there's just so many variables. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you have six heroes on each team. Two teams mm. face each other. One hero has uh, five other heroes alongside with it. Then you have the next hero with five. So that's 10 just interactions between uh, um basically add the interactions between sure. every teammate and also the, the opponents mm -hmm. and then you have to think about every key press every step they take in game and it's it's basically the same as trying to predict how how something you create in real life will be um affecting the world long term for example how how the car affected the world or how the first computer affected the world, it's it's pretty much impossible. So you, in order to deal with, for example, comps, um, or not comps, but difficult strategies in Overwatch, mm -hmm. 
early on, I had to think about everything, basically. Um, I didn't know how to specify, you know, um, narrow it down to, you know, only think about certain heroes mm. because I didn't know what was the limit of what was uh, possible of happening and the limit of what was possible of not happening. So I just started thinking about everything and breaking it down in separate element, uh, no, separate elements. And then I break down. So I take every hero, isolate them, then I isolate their abilities. And then I look at everything at the same time, if that makes sense. And mm-hmm. um, you basically have to make something that's easily gonna um, not easily but that's gonna survive the most uncertainty if uh, mm-hmm. i'm not sure how to, something that's anti-fragile sure and you for example if you have set positions to like every step like if you decide everything what's gonna happen as a coach the most smallest thing that can happen in a game can ruin your whole game plan and then that's the reason why you want to have some space for players to to decide on their own what what's going to happen and that's that knowledge is coming from tons of hours of trial and error in ranked in scrims etc where they have a subconscious memory just thinking for them reacting for them and the same with like fighting uh, boxing whatever you're not thinking about every hit you're going to take. You just do hits on, on reaction sometime. And it's the same in Overwatch. You you switch heroes on reaction sometime. You play with emotions. You do the same in, in StarCraft where you you don't really calculate everything. You mm. push with uh, confidence or you retreat with, uh, with um, uncertain, you know, if you're uncertain about sure. how people are to survive something. And yeah it's it's not as much thinking because otherwise you just end up um tripping over your own steps when you had mentioned uh limits i thought Mm. um it was really interesting and kind of poignant to where we are in esports where um within from my understanding within league of legends within you know a, a few other games there has been this kind of slight renaissance in a way. And I think we're, we're kind of seeing a small case study that within the World Cup as well, where we're seeing teams realize that chasing after someone and and kind of um, mimicry almost where we're trying to copy them um, and we identify them as the best region with the best team and we're trying to uh, adapt that play style onto these players who don't necessarily always fit the bill when it comes to playing that style um, isn't really optimal for, you know, a number of reasons, whether it's, you know, I don't have the skill sets to be able to play that. It's it's kind of like a recipe almost, or at least that's how mm-hmm. I kind of envision it. Um, and within Overwatch, we kind of saw that at the World Cup when you look at Team UK. Um, they had, you know, it's it's not... It's not to poke fun at Europe at all, but, you know, they have a very clear play style like every every region does, mm. and they're very good at it. And they played it to the best of their ability, and they did very well against, you know, multiple other teams that, you know, uh, will argue with you that, you know, maybe this composition's better, maybe this style's better. Um, you know, they, they did very well against, the you know, Team USA. They did, you know, took Korea to five games. You know, mul- you know, they they tied to be fair, so they didn't you know find the immediate success, but they had the most success that I think anybody has has kind of had thus far. Mm-hmm. Um, would you kind of agree with the statement that you you really shouldn't kind of chase after people as much as like kind of developing your own team style and team color within that metagame? Is that something you'd agree with? Um, definitely. Okay. It's if you if you end up copying people, you end up trying to play for example if i have one style of playing and another person tries to copy me mm-hmm. and i'm playing to my strengths i'm always going to be on my on my best game while the other person is essentially playing catch up mm-hmm. or maybe they can't even catch up maybe they can't run at the same pace maybe they can't 
take as big leaps or whatever. Um, maybe they don't know how I'm doing something. Maybe I don't know how I'm do- doing something and they're trying to copy something that I, I don't even know mm-hmm. how, how I'm doing it. Um, it's it's pointless to to copy someone if you don't have your own style sets already because what happens if someone shuts down that copied style? Well, you're basically lost and you are in no man's land. Right. And you don't know how to get out. And that's why it's important for players to be able to think on their own and not have coaches feed them information uh, that they see from some scrim that or some match that they have spectated and you you want to have um, redundancy um, some some form of something that stops um, something that prevents their production to stop from stopping I mean mm-hmm. and you gotta leave, yeah. As I mentioned, space to players to do their own thing, and before you start anti-stratting, for example, mm-hmm. you want to be able to Im- implement strategies that aren't anti-strats, like default strats or something, um, with heroes that your players can play, heroes that your players understand, compositions uh, that make sense in the meta, mm-hmm. on maps that. Uh, they are favorable on and then if you end up with someone countering you you can tweak it uh, based on the heroes you can play maybe you can't make huge uh, hero swaps Mm -hmm. so what you can do instead is change up the positioning maybe it's more it doesn't have to be always the optimal positions because it's like trying to define what the most optimal position in Overwatch is mm-hmm. without knowing what the, you know it's like trying to calculate to infinity or right. to count to, to infinity um, it's impossible to to find the most optimal, optimal position on a hero when the game is constantly updating and it's never gonna uh, stop being updated as long as the devs give support um, so yeah I went a bit off topic, but yeah. No, no, no. I, I, I appreciate it because it's you know something that I'm super interested in as well. You know, trying to really um, understand why strategies developed, a, um, mm. how it's deviated, and then you know how how did we even come to those first two conclusions as coaches or mm. as as analysts or you know members of the support staff? Um, it's it's really interesting. Um, when you talk about like the optimal mm. positioning versus you know strategy, I can give, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I can I can give a pretty good example here. Sure. So when I was in Fuel, we played Soul in the first game mm-hmm. on in the first stage, and we opened with Anubis, I think. Uh, the and uh, we the had Arisa strat, right? Yeah, and the way I set up the Arisa strat was. It was basically during Christmas, and and we didn't have scrims. I was okay. uh, supposed to give some suggestions, and I thought Orissa, uh, Roadhog, and uh, Junkrat because of Seagull. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tracer was uh, kind of hard and didn't fit in with the Orissa. Then we wanted to keep the players because of uh, later maps and so on, mm-hmm. and. I think we had uh, both XQC and Kokodan mm-hmm. who could play Orisa pretty well and I just decided on Orisa. Uh, then I ended up with nothing for Taimo to play in my head. Mm-hmm. And the reason for choosing Widow, for example, wasn't because Widow is super strong and I knew what that Widow is super strong at that point. I, I picked Widow because uh, I remember seeing Kariv playing Widow once on, on Anubis defense first point and mm-hmm. And I just thought that, yeah, Taimo might play on the same position uh, on, on high ground and it might work. And that's how the Risa strat came to birth. Well, there you go. That's uh, yeah. I, I love stories like that. I love I love it how you're I can I can just kind of very vividly sitting you peek sitting there on the, on the you know, by the fire. It's Christmas. There's there's a tree or, you know, whatever presents are being open there's gingerbread cookies he's in his smoking jacket sipping tea or whatever you like to to drink just with his notebook just 
you know, it's the beautiful minds gif where there's trigonometry and, and calculus just flying by him all at all speeds. And yeah, I, I absolutely love, I love those stories when, you know, you, you get, you really get a visceral peek into the mind of, uh, no pun intended into the mind of a coach and, and how, how some of the most iconic strategy, because again, that was the first, I think that was the first match that mm. we would see during the regular season for, for season one. Mm. And, yeah, and it was so crazy. Yeah. Everybody kind of expected yeah. Soul to come out here and do all the crazy stuff. And obviously we know what happened there. And yeah, you guys came yeah. out and kind of surprised a lot of people with that strat. So, you know, mm. that's yeah, and Yeah. I think that's how like most strats are built. Mm. Um, it's not, well, it's some, some of it is like planning and, and thinking about the meta, sure. but then it's tested in scrims and you make like these unexpected changes that just work. And, um, these are the things you, that you can't really plan for. Mm -hmm. um, like Anna, when she was released, no one knew the potential of Anna right. until Reaper came along as well. Good old, good old Beyblade. Mm -hmm. Before we kind of wrap things up, I had kind of one last topic to kind of uh, postulate towards you. Um, mm -hmm. and, and this kind of came from a discussion um, on another podcast that I had, you know, popped open, I was, I think I was playing uh, Civilization at the time. I was kind of taking a break and I like to listen to podcasts as I play like some, some very bland and kind of dreary like 5X games where I'll play Civ or some other kind of like space oriented game or what have mm. you. Um, but there was, I, I had listened to a podcast with um, uh, League of Legends coach, uh, Loco Doco. Uh, Thorin, I think there was somebody else there. I, I, I want to say it was veteran from you, but I'm not positive. Forgive me if you're out there listening to this. I don't know why you would be. But they had uh, a very interesting uh, topic, um, and both coaches were very vehemently in disagreement in a very nice way, but they were just very opinionated on both sides of the same coin, where one of them was saying that you should chase perfection at all costs, and you, that's that's kind of it felt like more of a, a philosophy discussion he was just very um locked in on that answer whereas the mm -hmm. other person was saying you know what that's kind of you know perfection is the enemy of good and you need to chase what is reasonable for your players their health their mentality and the uh kind of tool sets that you have at your disposal um so i wanted to kind of for the last question get your take on this because uh you know it seems like you were kind of interested in the question to say the least um so yeah what, what's your kind of take on you know that that uh, that argument that perennial argument mm. so the short answer is a mix of both mm, but the yeah. long answer is basically you will never reach perfection mm. so it's a never-ending chase and if you chase something that's infinitely far away um for example competing with yourself mm. Um, if you don't have reasonable goals that you can achieve on a regular basis, it's going to become boring. Mm -hmm. And it can become boring in the sense that you simply don't see any progress. It, you can become angry with yourself. You can become tired of, of doing whatever you're doing. You can become distracted uh, by something that's more fun, more rewarding. Um, maybe you're getting reasonable uh, achievements or you know you reach re reach reasonable goals in something else and that's rewarding you know more in your brain mm -hmm. than chasing something that you rarely achieve something in and in order to be able to comp you know chase the optimal per perfection ever even though you will never reach it you need these uh, small goals the short-term goals that you can achieve otherwise you automatically will at some point um drop the chase for perfection mm -hmm. for example you want to be able to chase perfection for 10 years mm -hmm. without burning out without becoming tired of it without become becoming bored of it and you won't be able to do that without splitting it up in digestible um chunks if 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 that's a good good enough analysis uh, no no that that, yeah. that definitely answers the question um that's how i see it at least no no, no I, I would agree i'm just trying to think of some of the counterpoints um because i think 
Um, I think veteran held the idea that, you know, perfection is the, or, or leaning on the side of chasing perfection is, um, more ideal. I wouldn't say optimal, um, because I do think that there is, you know, uh, an argument for both, but I mm. want to say that he was, um, I, I totally see what, what they mean. Yeah. Of I guess same. I, I haven't seen the, po- heard the podcast, but sure. I can, I can guess and you can tell me if it's uh, correct <laughs> or not. Fair. So the person that argues against optimal per, uh, perfection mm-hmm. uh, is saying that it's going to cause frustration or resentment or uh, toxicity, whatever, whatever yeah. form that might take. Bits and pieces. Because, yeah. because they can't reach something like that and they will never reach it and it's going to end up crushing their dreams. Mm-hmm. And uh, the other person that, that says you want to, that uh, is against. Um, what's reasonable etc et mm. is uh, that it's too small you're aiming too follow yeah. and you will never become this big bang basically right that pushes the boundaries that's yeah. pretty spot on the only thing i would add to the kind of uh perfection argument mm. is that he had this interesting idea or, or kind of concept that you'll or this team in theory um would be outpaced or the opposite team would be outpaced because of the constant drive to just uh i think they both fell under the agreement that you nothing is ever good enough there's always you know there's never there's there's Mm. never anything that's perfect there's always things Mm. that can be improved but Mm. just the way to attain that goal or to the the way that both of these people arrived at that mindset was just uh different they they came to the same conclusion mm. just different in different ways mm. um but yeah no that's yeah. uh go ahead yeah basically what what i try to link uh, done is mm-hmm. the toxicity or frustration etc that the the person that argued against cons- you know optimal perfection uh, might have felt if they explored the, the thought in their head mm-hmm. is because that's a normal thing when 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 you don't build up goals or when you build up too far away goals that you simply can't reach sure and uh, let's say that you fail something really really badly mm-hmm. and you might get cut from a team that's basically gonna feel like you're being decapitated and it's really hard to get back on track if mm-hmm. if if you aren't aware of that feeling and how to deal with it etc uh, most most people face it the first time they step outside in the job world and they lose their first job or maybe they start their first company or whatever mm-hmm. their first project and they fail it and then it feels like they put all this effort into making it as perfect as possible but it was just too big of a goal that they didn't bring, bring, break uh, break down and then they expected such a big return and that ne- never came in because that expectation wasn't met then automatically it's like uh they have the opposite feeling mm-hmm. and you, the same you immediately with, uh, kind of it's like a knee-jerk reaction to you know, this this negative mm. force that's acting on you that's like i don't like this i'm going back in my comfort box get me out of here i don't like any of this like yeah take me and away me. so i yeah mm. i can definitely yeah. align with that um and and yeah that's that makes a lot of it makes a lot of sense when you look at how coaches you know interact with players and you know again how strategy is developed um and you know it could explain why people are kept around longer Mm. on teams or even in the support staff where it's like well i don't like this person i think they're bad well it's like well we don't really know what they how they work in this grand scheme of things we can we can only see you know really only one Yeah. yeah the surface level of things we only get to see one avenue and it's just their play. We don't get to really listen to their communication. We don't get to really listen to them when they interact with coaches and, you know, what they do with these teams. So it's, I it, guess, I guess the closest is mm-hmm. that players reflect whatever the coaches believe in and accept within the team. So mm-hmm. if you have a team that always messes up old combos, well, then the coaches obviously accept it as well. Otherwise they would fix it. It's, it's kind of like a prioritization argument well it's like well if if, if a team has a very glaring mm. flaw then 
you, the only person mm. you can really hold accountable. Obviously, everybody has a little bit of accountability there. Yeah. yeah. But it's um, it's I'm... the manager kind of paradox where it's like you know if yeah. if the the foundation is messed up, then everything's going to be messed up. Yeah, and obviously we have to factor in that maybe the team isn't aware of what whatever sure. is going wrong, or they can't solve it, or something is in the way. Mm-hmm. But uh, everything is tied tied together. There's it's like a non-zero game, so everything goes around, mm-hmm. um, and there's never something of excess. Uh, there's yeah, everything is in in a loop not in a loop but in a balance so to Mm -hmm. to say it's kind of been the i don't know maybe a theme of the the episode is 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 balancing Mm -hmm. and and trying to apply the opposite force when it's needed and you know letting letting people run free when it's Mm -hmm. uh applicable as well but i know that you've been giving a lot of your thoughts and putting a lot of content out there um so to kind of wrap up i want to kind of give the give the floor to you um, you know, my, my soapbox is not huge, but you're more than welcome to plug, let people know where they can find you, you know, what's, what's coming up next for you. You know, if there's any cool things that you've got planned that are coming out mm-hmm. that you want to kind of tease a little bit, uh, you know, the floor is yours. So, yeah, I've, I've been, uh, trying to make educational content for uh, players, coaches, teams about coaching, about playing more, mostly coaching though. Mm-hmm. Um, I've written articles on Medium, so it's Medium, and then slash what at whatever it is, uh, Ghosty Peak. Mm-hmm. Same as my Twitter, Ghosty Peak. I always post my content there. Then it's then I have some on YouTube, so it's youtube.com slash peak coaching, and then on Twitch as well at Ghosty Peak. So I always try and help others. I really enjoy learning and teaching, and I'm. I believe I'm good at, you know, giving ideas to others so that they can benefit from them. And that's basically my goal, trying to make the scene better and give back from from the scene that I learned. I mm-hmm. didn't learn from others. Uh, oh, I learned from others, but I didn't have someone that taught me. Sure. So I just simply want to make it easier for others to get into coaching or playing. Awesome. Well, that I think wraps up the episode um again thank you for coming on and uh you know listening to me ramble and you know kind of kind of talking for a little bit um yeah yeah thank you for having me yeah thank you for having no me. no problem at all i i everybody that i found had on so far i think i definitely want to maybe i'm boxing myself in a corner by saying that am i picking favorites if i say that i don't know we'll probably have you back though that's Hmm. you're over analyzing twitch chat or end up you know youtube comments so again thank you for watching uh delve further like and subscribe if you like that content and uh definitely follow peak and he's he definitely puts out a ton of amazing content um if you want to get into coaching a or b you're a player who's kind of all lost is a little bit more aggressive but if if you're looking for a way to better yourself uh peak provides that that kind of uh, service to you for free you maybe have to pay anything get out there learn learn your get get your learn on um but yeah that's a del further episode i don't know you'll tell me and uh thanks for watching